The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast in is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and bet $100 to get an extra $100 at sportsgampodcast.com slash winbet, thesportsgampodcast.com slash W-I-N-N-B-E-T. State restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store. Head over to store.sportsgampodcast.com and use the promo code MADNESS for 10% off orders of $40 or more. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently early Wednesday morning, roughly 2 a.m. Eastern Time. And I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again going solo for this pod. And it is time to go through Indian Wells, which is the only ATP event going on this week. So after several... Uh, tor- after having several three-week tournaments, weeks in a row, uh, we don't have that anymore, and we have one, but it's a massive one. And if you are not aware of the Indian Wells schedule, it is starting on Wednesday, and it wraps around not this Sunday, but to next Sunday. So we're not going to have a semifinal and final video this weekend that would be next weekend. I'm obviously going to do more episodes during the week, so it's going to be a little bit different for schedule. I'll probably aim for an episode maybe every other day, maybe every other two days. But the point is, there are a lot a lot of matches, and I'm not going to fully ghost you until next like Thursday or Friday. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So the point is, I will be having more episodes for this tournament. I'm not sure if it's going to be the same frequency as the Grand Slam schedule for the Australian Open, where I was doing an episode basically every other day. But I... Probably, it's actually not a bad idea. Maybe I'll do one episode per round and we'll go from there. But the point is, we will be going pretty deep into this tournament because it is one of the biggest tournaments of the year since it is a Masters 1000 event. But to start off with the recap from last episode and the last couple of tournaments from last week, before we get into the actual preview and the outrights, which is the purpose of this show, we had a very good weekend. And to start off with the lock and dog, we ended up splitting in the Santiago title match. We ended up losing with Echeverry plus two and a half games at minus 145. Still like the read. Anytime the first two sets go to the breakers and you split it, you are in good shape. You just need to avoid getting broken multiple times when Echeverry was serving first in the third set. And he did. And unfortunately, he got smacked in the third set. So he did not cover the spread. However, we did have the over two and a half sets in that match. And that ended up cashing quite nicely. So overall, profitable episode since we hit the dog. And we also had two pretty decent-sized outrights that ended up cashing. We mentioned the Diminor outright at 9-1 to in Acapulco. We mentioned that for the Sunday podcast because that officially cashed Saturday night or early, early Sunday morning. However, we did have Jari to win the event in Santiago at plus 650, and that cashed as well. So two straight weeks, we won 66% of the tournaments because we got two out of three Two weeks ago, the one loss being Alcaraz, who was up by a ton against Nori in Rio de Janeiro, and then he got injured, and he blew the sweep for us. But we won two out of three anyway, and then on top of that, we ended up winning two out of three last week with Diminor and with Jari. So we're on a little bit of a heater recently on the outright, so hopefully we'll keep it rolling, and hopefully we will be able to find a couple of good outrights for Indian Wells. But... Before I get into 
any of the matches and the draws do want to kind of summarize the history of this event and go through the recent winners. It's a Master of the Thousand event, so by no surprise, you have had a lot of high-profile guys win this event. Djokovic has won it five times. Federer won it five times. Nadal won it three times. It kind of just sums up how prominent this tournament actually is. Even back in the day, you had Sampras, who won this event several times. Chang won it several times. Becker won it several times. Connors won it several times. A lot of Hall of Famers have won matches here and won titles here, so just keep that in mind. Anybody who's anybody that's healthy is going to be here for this event, and that's once again why Nadal is not here, because Nadal is still injured and he is taking time off. Hopefully he'll be back for Roland Garros, but the point is he is not available for this event. Neither is Djokovic, because Djokovic was not able to enter the country since he, of course, is not vaccinated. Um, I'll talk about that briefly I'm not going to get too political on it. I do live in the United States. So I'll put it this way. Rules are rules, but the rules are stupid. And I don't fully understand or comprehend the desire to enforce these rules so far after the COVID outbreaks and everything that we've had in the past. You can argue that you know there are different waves and it comes and goes. But in reality, I live in New York. Nobody cares. I'm just being straightforward. I don't think I've had to show my vaccination card in about a year and a half. I'm not sure if I've ever had to show it, even though I got vaccinated and I don't get asked about it. You don't have to wear masks anymore. It seems a little bit excessive at this point with the desire to just keep Djokovic out of the country. But once again, I don't make the rules, so it is what it is. I think Djokovic should be allowed in, but once again, that's above my pay grade and I don't make the decisions. So Either way, Djokovic is not here and Nadal is not here. And of course, Federer has retired. So you're looking at what should be a somewhat open field. If you think Medvedev might be fatigued, I'll get into Medvedev in the future outrights in a second. But to go through the winners in recent years, you had Taylor Fritz, who ended up winning this event in his home state. He ended up beating Nadal in the final. You had Cam Nori, who beat Vasilashvili in 2021, which tells you all you need to know about how strong that field was that year. But you're looking at the winners before that. You had COVID in 2022. In 2020, I mean. So it was not held. Team won in 2019. And once again, I mentioned before, you had a bunch of retired players or future Hall of Famers. Del Potro won in 2018. You had Federer, Djokovic three times, and Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, uh, shout out to Lubacic, who won in 2010. But the point is, you're looking at a bunch of phenomenal players who have won this event, with the exception of the last two years with Nori, who is a top 10 guy, and Fritz, who's also a top 10 guy, was a top five guy for about a week, but ended up losing a spot after he lost to Tommy Paul in the semis in Acapulco. But you're looking at the overall, first of all, surface. Of course, it is a hard court, but to go through the actual breakdown, it is not as slow as Acapulco. Acapulco is one of the slowest hard courts in the schedule, which is why we took them in order to actually win the event. But for Nian Wells, it is medium to slow. So it's kind of the same pace as like the U.S. Open, for example. So don't expect a lot of... There's going to be a decent amount of breaks in this tournament anyway, but don't expect even Isner's of the world and Fritz's of the world to have a hard time holding on occasion because this tournament is going to play faster than Acapulco, but it is not the fastest of the fastest. It's not Montpierre. Montpierre is insanely fast for comparison, but you get my point. The point is it's going to be a solid balanced tournament based on good serving mixed in with the ability to rally. And I don't think you're going to see any one trick ponies get 
into a deep run here. I think if you're going to see a champion, it's going to be a pretty well-rounded guy in terms of skill set because of just how deep this overall field is. But to go through the actual odds for the outrights, we'll start off with the outright winners, then we'll work our way back to the quarters. Reminder, though, there are a bunch of people in each quarter because of how big this tournament field is. But starting off with the outrights, you have Medvedev at plus 275. No surprise there. He's been the best hardcore player or the second best hardcore player in the world this year. You can argue between him and Djokovic, but he did just beat Djokovic in straight sets in Dubai. So Medvedev, rightfully so, the favorite here at plus 275. You have Alcaraz at around 6-1. to one. You have Tsitsipas at 8-1. to one. Sinner at 10-1. to one. Rune at 20 to 1. Fritz at 22 to 1 to defend his title. You have Felix at 22 to 1. Rublev at 22 to 1. Rude at 35 to 1, Diminor 35 to 1, Zverev at 35, Berrettini at 40, Herkaz at 40, Nori at 40, Paul at 50, uh, Tiafo at 50. You get the point. So, starting off with the obvious one, am I going to have a play on Medvedev? I think I have to. And I've, I'm aware that it goes against the fatigue angle that I've mentioned in the past, and it does help that they played the final on. on uh, I'm trying to remember if they played. Yeah, they played on Saturday, so he did have an extra day off. And this is a midweek tournament, so Medvedev does have extra rest time. Not to mention the fact that looking at the actual draw, Medvedev obviously does have a buy in the first round, which definitely is going to help him out for a little bit of extra rest time. But then he'll face off against either Isner or Nakashima, so I think he'll easily cruise through there. Uh, he has a really easy path. You're looking at most likely, I'd probably lean Isner right now. I know Nakashima matchup-wise could be a bad matchup for Isner, but Nakashima, I haven't exactly been impressed with his recent form, hasn't played many matches lately. I think Isner might beat him, but the point is I think Medvedev should have an easy path past that round. Then he's going to face off against probably Zanschulp, and Medvedev has smacked him around repeatedly in their careers, so I will take Medvedev to make it past that round. Then either uh, Batista Gut or Zverev, Sure, I think Medvedev's going to have a pretty easy path past that option. The point is we're looking down the line, and Medvedev's quarter is relatively easy. Uh, just to go through the people in his quarter, I mentioned some of the immediate competition. But you have Zverev at 5-1, to one, Rude at 8-1. to one. I want nothing to do with Rude, because Rude has really not been good on hard court this year, and he's kind of been slumping. You have Kakanov at 11-1, to one, who lost to Zanshulp in Acapulco pretty early on. Or, I'm trying to think, it was Acapulco or Dubai? I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was actually Dubai, and that I think about it, but the point is Kakanov lost immediately. He hasn't played that many matches since the Australian Open, and I think as a result, I'm going to stay away from him. But it's kind of just bugging me. I got to try to remember what tournament it was. I'm pretty sure it was Dubai. It was Dubai, and he lost in straight sets. So Kakanov hasn't exactly played many matches lately. That's going to be a pass. But he's still good to pass his prime, so I'm not sold on him. You have Yibbing. At 20 to 1, he has not played since he won his first ATP title in Dallas. I like him a lot as a player. Do I think he's ready to make a deep run here? No. But I think he's got a lot of upside. And I said in the past, I think he's a future top 25 guy. That was before he won Dallas. And now that call looks better because everyone knows what his upside is. Isner 28 to 1, Nakashima 28 to 1, Fakina 28 to 1. I think Fakina might be interesting if you think that he, A, will not choke away a potential 
great opportunity like he did against Rublev in his last event where he was up a set and 6-1 in the second set tiebreak and lost the match. But Fakina's been kind of feisty, and I do think that he can have a bit of a Cinderella run here. Am I picking him to make it seriously far? No. But, I mean, that price is not terrible, but I'm not going to pick him. I think in reality, I'm only going with Medvedev here. And Medvedev is minus 140 to win the quarter. But I really don't see anybody who can even compete with him at this level unless Medvedev has serious signs of fatigue. But once again, the match was on Saturday. He beat Rubla very convincingly. And now he has a bye for the first round. So he's going to be off for basically five, six days. I think that's going to be enough for him to recharge his batteries. And he has looked really, it's like a 1A, 1B on hard court level right now between him and Djokovic. And Djokovic had an off night in Dubai, which, you know, happens, but still Medvedev has been so damn good on hard court. He's undefeated in his last three tournaments. He won a title in all three tournaments. Obviously I can't go against him. I'll go with Medvedev to win the quarter and I will go with Medvedev to win the tournament, but I'm not going to pick any potential long shots in the quarter. I don't see many. I'm rooting for Yibbing just for the record, because I do like his game a lot, but he's still not a great server and Medvedev, based on his form, I just think is so damn good. So give me Medvedev right now to win his quarter and to win the tournament. Now to move on from that, Alcaraz, clear stay away from me. Now I mentioned in the Acapulco breakdown, a big reason why we ended up taking Diminor. We anticipated Nori and Alcaraz to either struggle early or potentially withdraw, and they ended up withdrawing the next day. So we ended up getting a pretty good deal on Tiafo and Diminor at the time, because we anticipated Alcaraz to miss at least Acapulco with this injury, and then he was a last-second scratch, which wasn't exactly a surprise. But the point is, Alcaraz is now a week healthier, but you're hearing the reports he did have a grade one hamstring strain, and if you want to look at the medical timetable, according to most people, a mild or grade one strain of a hamstring usually takes around three to eight weeks to fully rehab. I'm assuming that it's going to be a special case for him because of course he has physical trainers and he has a great, he's just in great shape and you could argue that maybe he'll be able to get back. But the point is I do question Alcaraz's ability to fully get through this whole tournament when he's off of a hamstring injury and based on the usual timetable of three to eight weeks, let's say three weeks for the hell of it, it means that he's still rushing back about a week early. And at six to one, I don't feel comfortable taking a guy whose leg could be a problem, at least something to monitor for this many rounds. I know he doesn't have a buy in round one, but I think I have to pass an Alcaraz because with the leg in, with the leg concerns, it's a little bit extra uncertainty that I don't want to deal with. So I will pass on Alcaraz in this spot. Nothing against him. I think that, of course, he's a great player. And if he was healthy, maybe I would take a piece. But with him dealing with the leg injury and potentially rushing back early, I think that, that there's just too, many, there's too much risk involved for me to actually take this price point. So I will pass on Alcaraz at 6-1. to one. And to go through the quarter here, he's the favorite to win the quarter at around plus 150. Felix is 4-1. to one. Herkaz is 650. Paul is 8-1. to one. Murray's 11-1. to one. Draper making his return at 16-1. Boost is at 16-1 to one with a bye. Uh, you have Evans at 22-1, to one, a bunch of long shots who have no chance. So to go through my thoughts here, I'm not picking Alcaraz. I just mentioned with the leg injury. I think this is a decent spot 
to go for a plus money non-favorite. And I do think with Alcaraz facing off against Kokonakis, most likely in this in the round of 64, I think Kokonakis could potentially give him a run for his money. I just based on Alcaraz potentially being compromised movement wise, maybe being rusty. Kokonakis has been pretty good on hard courts, especially this season. So that's going to be interesting. His path after that isn't that bad. But the point is, I just don't exactly have faith in Alcaraz physically. So I do think it makes sense to pivot to other guys. Felix makes sense, but I have really not been impressed with his resume on hard court this year. So I think I'm going to pass on Felix. It just seems like he constantly runs into trouble, got killed by Sonigo a tournament or so ago. He can't beat Medvedev, but luckily Medvedev's in a different quarter. But I just think at the end of the day, Felix is a guy who I don't trust enough to put together his best tennis for a week straight. I just don't see him being that guy. And the more that I look back on it, I think his dream run there for the last month or two of 2022 was a little bit fluky because he's always been this volatile top 10 guy. When the good hits, it's very good. But there's a lot of bad and a lot of sloppiness involved and a lot of uncertainty based on his unpredictable game day in, day out. And I think for that reason, I have to stay away from Felix. I just don't trust him enough. I will make a case for Herkaz, though, at 650. He did not exactly play his best tennis, but he ended up winning the tournament, and he looked better serving-wise, especially as the tournament went on, as he was able to beat Bonzi in straight sets, beat Bublik in straight sets as well. But he was serving well, and I do think with his serve and forehand combination, he could be able to shorten a bunch of points while allowing a serve to give him a bunch of free holds if the percentage is pretty high. But he's facing off against either Papyrin or uh, Zhang in the second round as he has a bye in round one. Then he's probably facing Tommy Paul. Now, Paul does have a bye as well, but the problem is I think it's going to be a general rule of thumb for me this year. I'm going to fade most of the guys in Acapulco, with the exception of maybe Diminor, because Diminor actually won the event and was healthy by the end. But you look at the semifinals, Rune got injured, or he was cramping. You had Paul, who was he was able to go to three sets, but he completely ran out of gas in that third set against Diminor, not to mention the cramping at the end of that Fritz match. Fritz not only was cramping and he puked, but he also appeared to injure his leg with that overhead at 6-5, right before the breaker in the third set tiebreak against Paul. With the injuries and fatigue, I do think that I'm going to stay away from those guys. Diminor maybe can make a case for, but I do think having to play that much tennis, grueling matches and humidity and warm climate, now you're traveling over to Indian Wells. I just have a question on their stamina and if they could fully last an entire event with a field of 128 people. I don't exactly uh, see that happening. Or sorry, uh, a field of 96 people. I don't exactly feel that comfortable taking those guys. So I think Paul, I'm out on. I'll talk about Fritz in a second, but I'm out on him. And I'm going to be out on Rune as well in a second. But I think I'm going to pass on Paul. And I'm hoping that Herc has a serve can do enough to shorten points and get the job done. I do think Andy Murray is kind of interesting, and some of it has to do with the fact that he has nine lives in every match, and no matter how far he's down, you kind of just assume he's going to come back and find a way to make it interesting. But Murray's path is not that bad, and he has not played since he ended up losing in the Doha final 
to Medvedev. There's no shame in that because Medvedev's been so good this year. But Murray's path, he faced off against Echeverry in the first round. Echeverry's gone all in on the clay circuit, and we saw him just play a final on Sunday on in clay, and or on clay, and now he's transitioning to hard court with a bit of a short turnover there. I think kind of bodes well for Murray. I'll go with him. Then he has a matchup against uh, against uh, Karenia Busta, and Busta has really not played many matches and really has not looked good in 2022. I think he's quite vulnerable there, so I think Murray's got a shot to get that done. Then potentially Evans, who has not been good this year either. You have a righty or you have Draper. Draper hasn't played in several months because he's been injured, and righty's been good, but he's still a little bit of a youngster. I think Murray's got a decent path to actually make it to the round of 32 and maybe beyond that to the round of 16 and you're looking at some potential matchups that he might have and potentially Alcaraz which is a problem but Alcaraz maybe loses early and I mentioned how he's physically compromised maybe he gets Kokonagas again and we saw how that worked out in the Australian Open crazy match Murray came all the way back but I am wondering psychologically if maybe Kokonagas would be a bit flat or maybe if Murray would just be able to to continue his good run this year the point is you have to get past Alcaraz, but with the injury concerns, I think it makes sense to take a flyer on somebody, and I think Andy Murray will be my flyer. Now, do I like Murray as a player? Not really. I respect him as a player because he's shown a lot of heart and he never quits. I still hate the whining, and he's clearly not the player he used to be with the metal hip, but I think it makes sense at 11-1 to to take a flyer with him, with his draw being relatively easy or at least reasonably doable until the round of 16 or so, that's good enough for me. And maybe Alcaraz has some injury issues and he faces Koganagas again. So give me Murray at 11-1 to 1 and give me Herkaz at 650. That Herkaz play I like, and Herkaz has been good to us because he just won a tournament for us. So I'll roll over some of the profits from that event into him to win the quarter at 650. Uh, moving on, I mentioned Sitsipas. I think I'll just do it this way. I'll keep mentioning names and then I'll go through the quarter. So starting off, in the fourth quarter for Sitsipas. He's the favorite of plus 175. Rublev is at four to one. Nori is at 650. Tiafo is at eight to one. Berrettini is at nine to one. Leshik is 10 to one. Shapo's 12 to one. Dimitrov 16 to one. You get the point. So no long shots I'm tempted by. I'm not going to make a case for Cressy at 35 to one. I'm not going to bother. So I do think at the end of the day, Sitsipas should be favored. Rublev might be, might be fatigued. Did play on the Saturday final or in the Saturday final with him and Nevedev lost in blowout fashion. But the point is, Rublev has played a lot of tennis, and I still think he's a bit volatile, so I will pass on Rublev. Nori is interesting because he played a bunch of clay. He did well. He got revenge against Alcaraz, courtesy of some injury assistance. But the point is, he took the week off, which I expected him to do, so he did not play in Acapulco. But he did win this event in 2021, and I do think that could result in some familiarity with Nori in this event, and I do think that there's value at 650 to make the semis. Tsitsipas has been good this year, but he's still, you know, capable of getting in his own head, and Nori keeps the ball in play a lot. I do think Nori could make a deep run here, and I do think that with what I saw in clay, I know that it's hard court, but Nori looked really good, and we have to at least keep in mind he's a steady top 10 member or he's around top 15, he's definitely a top 10 player, in my opinion, in the world. But I do think, at the end of the day, you're looking at the head-to-head. It's tied 1-1, so they have been competitive. They played once on hard court in Acapulco last year, 
and Nori won in straight sets. The one loss was the final on clay in 2021 in Lyon. So they played one time on hardcore and Nori beat him. I think there's value on Nori at 650. So I do think I'm going to take Nori, a former champion here, to make the semis at plus 650. That is appealing. Tiafo, I made I tried to make a case for Manacapoco, but he's too volatile. I don't trust him enough. The shot selection's still not great. And I feel like he focuses a lot on being an entertainer as opposed to actually trying to win matches. And as a result, you do get the questionable shot selection and the antics every now and then with the crowd. So I'm not exactly sold on him. Berrettini at nine to one. I'm out. I don't know if he was trying to avoid a double bagel at the hands of Rune or if he was injured, but he retired midway through the second set or right in the beginning stage of the second set in Acapulco. So I'm out on Berrettini. Not sure what his injury status is, so I'm going to stay away from him. Leshika, it was fun while it lasted at Doha, but then he choked against Murray. Good player. I don't think he's good enough to win the quarter, so I think I'm out. Shapo is always a wild card in the uh, North America schedule, but I'm going to stay away from him. He's too volatile. And Dimitrov, no chance in hell. So I think my main picks here, I think it's either going to be Sitsipas or Nori. So I think I'm going to take both. Rublev at 4-1, to one, I don't mind the price, but I am concerned with how lucky he was to survive against Davidovich Fakina and how fatigued he might be. Sitsipas took last week off. He's well-rested. Nori took last week off as well. I'll go with those two guys to win the quarter. I think plus 175 for Tsitsipas and plus 650 for Nori do have some value, and I do think those are definitely the best plays available. Uh, besides that, though, uh, looking at the other outrights, I mentioned Sinner at 10-1. to 1. Uh, Sinner has not played since he lost in the final of Rotterdam to Medvedev, where he was upset, and then he ended up losing the final two sets there, uh, but once again, not going to fully blame Sinner because we know how good Medvedev has been so far this season on hard court. So Sinner was playing some great tennis, did win a title in France, and then he ended up losing in the final in Rotterdam. And he took some time off because of the fact that he was a little bit injured or fatigued or all the above. So he decided to not play. And as a result, he walked over in Marseille. But he did win a title in Montpellier, and then he made it to the final in Rotterdam. So... I am impressed with how he's played, assuming he's still fully healthy. And I do think that he's going to be poised to make a deep run here. So I think that, first of all, he's worthy of being the favorite in this in this uh, quarter. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I do think that when you're looking at him at around plus 200, I like the price. And you have Rune at 450. Rune, I like when he's fully healthy, but he's had injury issues. And we saw his leg act up again on him in the semis. So I said, as bef- like I said before, Acapulco guys, I'm out on. So Rune, I am out on. Fritz, defending champion, I'm out on as well at 5-1 to one because, once again, he might have injured his foot. There was some puking involved and the cramping. I'm not going to bother. Fritz, I'm passing on. Diminor at 550. So they really put three Acapulco guys in the same quarter, which was fascinating to me, which I think bodes even... It's just such a good draw for Sinner then when the second lowest odds, third lowest odds, and fourth lowest odds all might be fatigued after playing in altitude for about a full week. I think it's a good spot for Sinner, so I will go with Sinner at 2-1. to one. If you want to go for a potential long shot here, just to read off the odds here, Chorich is 16-1, to one, I'll pass. Walrenka's 20 to 1. Get that crap out of here. Sinner sh- uh, Walrenka should be closer to 30 to 1, 40 to 1. One of my favorite players of all time, but 20 to 1 is ridiculous. He's at this point borderline washed. No way in hell he should be 20 to 1. 
The other guy I'd be tempted by would be Shelton, just because he's American and the big serve can maybe dictate a or uh, some matches and lead him to some tie-break heavy matches where he kind of thrives in. So my long shot here would probably be Shelton, but I'm pr- I'm picking Sinner to win the quarter. I just think that it's a great draw for him, and I think with Rune, Fritz, and Diminor having deep runs in out in uh in humidity last week in Acapulco, I think it's a great spot for him. So for me, I'll go with Sinner at plus two hundred, and I will go with. Shelton as a serious long shot flyer at around plus 2,000 to win the quarter. But if you're looking at his draw here, Sinner's draw is pretty nice. He faced off against either Gojo or Gasquet. Gojo's had a good run on hard courts in challenger events, and he made it through qualifying, but I do think that Sinner is, of course, another animal here. Then he's facing off against either Musetti or Team or Manorino. Good luck to you. I mean, Sinner's going to dominate that. Then he's probably facing off against Rune which should be a good matchup, but Rune, once again, with the leg injury, I'm not sold on his current status. Maybe McDonald can give Rune a run for his money. We'll see. But I do think that Sinner is going to have a pretty decent path here. So give me that option. And looking at Shelton's path, just because I can, and I have not mentioned his path yet, uh, you're looking at it. He faced off against Fognini in the first round. Sure, Fognini off of leg injuries and transitioning over from Clay. I think Fagnini is probably going to get buried in that match. So I'll go with Shelton. Then he faced off against Fritz. Fritz does have a bye, but with the leg injury potentially and with the recovery from Acapulco, I think Shelton could potentially beat Fritz in two tie breaks or maybe a marathon match. So I actually think Shelton might be live to get past Fritz there. Then either Yemmer, Hichikata, or Baez. Unfortunately for Hichikata, it's not a doubles event. So... I do think that Shelton would be favored against any of those guys. I love Bai as a player, but it's mostly Clay. I just think Shelton is going to be able to get past that op- that obstacle. The point is, I think there's a path there. If you think that Fritz is physically compromised, which I do, then facing, all- facing off against him in his first match of Indian Wells makes a lot of sense. Fading Fritz immediately. So, yeah, I think Shelton has some merit there at plus 2,000 to win the quarter. But once again, that's going to wrap it up for the quarters. For the outrights, though, for the whole event, I'm not going to go that deep into it. I think one of the low-odd guys are going to win, but I will throw in a flyer in there. Medvedev, I'm taking at plus 275. I'll take a spin with Tsitsipas at 8-1. to I'll take a spin with Sinner as well. So I'm going to be taking three of the four lowest odded favorites uh, just because Rune and Fritz I'm fading. Felix I don't trust. Rublev might be tired. Root I definitely don't trust. Divinor might be tired. You're running out of guys. So I think that there's value if I take those three. Once again, space out the units. I'll have a bigger play on Medvedev, and then I'll put in a couple of maybe half units or quarter units on the other guys. But Medvedev will be my biggest outright play to win the event in terms of unit size. I just think that Medvedev is, especially if you want to make money and try to create some, I can't even call it like a preemptive hedge kind of. I think Medvedev is definitely your best option. So Medvedev is my favorite pick to win the event, but I will go with some other guys as well. Medvedev at plus 275, Sitsipas at 8-1. Uh, I'll go with Sinner at 10-1, to one, and I will go with Nori at 40-1 to one as my... Serious long shot. Herc has it four to one. I don't mind, but I don't exactly trust him to get by all of the top guys. I think that he might get past one or two, 
but I don't think he'll be able to get past Medvedev, for example. Maybe Nori can't either. So maybe that's a maybe I kind of just got in my own head there. But I think Nori, the fact that he's won it before, gives him the wild card angle there where maybe he could make a deep run. And I picked him to win the quarter at 650. So once again, the outrights to win the tournament are going to be Medvedev at plus 275, Sitsipas at 8-1. to Pass, I'm a little bit flaky on, though. Actually, you know what? Do I want to take Sitsipas? I mean, he did make he did make the finals of Australia, but you're looking at his results since then. Sinner beat the crap out of him. You know what? I think I'm going to pass on Sitsipas now that I think about it. I think I'll spread the wealth a bit more. Give me Medvedev at 275. Give me Sinner at 10 to 1. Give me Nori at plus 4,000. And give me Herkaz at plus 4,000. Those will be my four. I'm taking Herkaz to win the quarter. I think he's got a decent draw. Once again, you're hoping that Alcaraz is not at 100% because he can get by it. But I do think with him winning a tournament in on hard court, definitely going to do wonders for his confidence, and he's still a good server. So those are going to be my four outrights to win the event. And once again, my quarter outrights here, I'm going to go with Herkaz in the first quarter and Murray. So Herkaz at plus 650 and a little flyer there on Murray at 11 to 1. Second quarter, going to go with Sinner and a little bit there on Shelton at plus 2,000. Uh, Rune, Fritz, and Diminor coming back from Mexico, not sold on the spot there. Give me Sinner, who's been resting for a couple of weeks. Third quarter, give me Medvedev. I got nobody else. I just think Medvedev's going to win the quarter. And the last quarter, I will go with Sitsipas and Nori. I think one of the two will win the quarter. And Sitsipas is plus 175. Nori is plus 650. That's going to wrap it up for the outrights for Indian Wells, but it is time to get into the lock and dog segment. But before I should get into any of the match picks, going to have a quick word from our sponsors. We're brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the SportsCam Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays, a.k.a. WinBet's Build Your Own Bet. March Madness is almost here. Plus, there are, pl- there are plenty of ways to get down and wager on the NBA, NHL, and XFL, not to mention tennis, obviously. Sign up today to receive a special offer, bet $100, and get an extra $100, limited state availability. And of course, for our DGENs out there, if you hit the biggest long shot parlay of the week, you get an extra $1,000 free credit bonus. There's something to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportscampodcast.com slash winbet. So then we send you the sportscampodcast.com slash W-I-N-N-B-E-T. Offer subject to change term and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog is your home for off-season NFL best ball drafts, but also they have you covered with daily games for the NBA, for the NHL, and for PGA Golf. Underdog Fantasy is a great way to get down on your favorite player props if they're not available in your state. Head over to underdogfantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the Indian Wells Tournament, going through my outrights for both the overall champion of the event as well as the 
semifinalists because I went through each individual quarter. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the matches. And starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup taking place on Wednesday night between Jordan Thompson and Gail Monfee. That is right. Gail Monfee is returning, and I'm going to fade him. I'm going to take Jordan Thompson on the money line. At right now, I can see minus 145. Uh, a couple reasons why I'm going to go with Thompson here. Main reason, Monfee's playing his first match competitively in about seven months ever since he suffered that serious leg injury in Montreal last year. And as a result, he missed a bunch of time. He had a heel injury before that. So Munfi hasn't been fully healthy in a while. And I do think as a result, you're going to see him come out rusty. And according to some quotes, it seems like his main priority right now is being healthy and qualifying or being invited to the Olympics in Paris next year. And of course, Monfi is French, so that's going to mean more to him. But the point is Monfi, with his first match in a while, I think is going to be pretty reserved compared to his usual self. I don't see him sprinting all over the court, making crazy shots like he always does. I think he's going to err on the side of caution here. I think his main priority is stay healthy, don't suffer a setback, make it through the match, and I think Thompson's going to beat him. Now, Thompson has not been great in ATP level matches this year. However, Challenger events, he's been pretty good, and I bring it up because he just won a Challenger event on hard court in Georgia about two weeks ago, and he did not drop a set in that entire tournament. So, yes, the level of competition in that event is worse than the level of, eight of competition you get in the ATP, but the point is Thompson's been in America. He just won a Challenger event on hard court. He's playing pretty decent tennis, and Monfi hasn't played in seven months. I just think that this line is a bit too short, especially with the health circumstances. There's a chance Monfi retires mid-match if he ends up having some leg issues again or something comes up. But Monfi might be rusty. He might just be flat. And once again, I mentioned that he might be a little bit afraid or hesitant to fully rev up the motor and to start sprinting all over the court like he always does. I think he's going to play it safe, and I think that he's probably going to get beaten. So give me Thompson on the money line here at minus 145. And for my dog, I am going to go to a matchup between J.J. Wolf and Fuksovics. And for this matchup, I am going to go with the over two and a half sets here. This will be taking place on Wednesday as well. Pretty early match. I believe it's at 1 p.m. I'm going with the over two and a half sets here at plus 140. Simply put, I just see a war between these guys. They played once before. It was in Vienna on hardcourt in late 2022. That match went three sets, which Wolf won. Wolf has really not been good, though, ever since he lost that heartbreaker to Isner in Dallas. He beat Avashka in Delray, but Avashka has been horrible this year. Uh, ended up losing to Manorino in straight sets after that, then lost to Taro Daniel and Acapulco. So he's lost three of his last four matches, hasn't exactly looked great recently. Fuksovics has been good at getting to a final set. He just hasn't been able to win them. Played against Makic in Dubai, lost in three sets. Really not a bad outing, though, because Makic gave Djokovic a run for his money, but that went three sets. Played Batista Gut in Doha, very competitive three-set loss there. Ended up going to three sets in Montpierre. Won that one, but went three. The point is, each of his last three matches have gone to three sets, and that one head-to-head meeting late last year went three sets. I see both players who are struggling, showing up with a lot of purpose, trying to get back on track, and I think you're going to see a pretty even matchup between two guys that we saw look pretty evenly matched last year. 
I think plus 140 is a good price. The over two and a half sets have been pretty kind to us lately, mostly on clay. So we'll see if it transitions over to hard court. But plus 140, I'm tempted by. I think Vuksovic has a decent shot to win the match. But with Wolf being American, maybe he rides the crowd support to a win. But I'll play, I'll go with the over two and a half sets and expect Vuksovic to once again have some highs and lows like Wolf and what we've seen. And I think they'll balance out for a three set marathon. So once again, the lock for the show is going to be. Thompson on the money line at minus 145, and the dog is going to be Fuksovics and Wolf over two and a half sets at plus 140. That's going to wrap it up once again for this podcast. We're back once again, probably in two days or so. I think we might do every other day and just stick with the Australian Open format to just go through each individual round. I kind of like that idea because of how meaningful this tournament is and how it's a Masters 1000 event. And I do think that since it's the only ATP event going on, they're going to want constant coverage of it, so I think that makes sense. So we'll try to flush it out. We'll aim for every other day, maybe an exception here and there, but we will have a couple episodes per uh, for the tournament, obviously, before the semis and the final, which are guaranteed to have episodes. But that's going to wrap it up. You can find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. You can find me on the NBA show. I will not be on for Wednesday, but I will be back on Thursday and Friday for that show. You can find me on the PropCast on occasion, the WNBA podcast when the season's back on. You can find me on YouTube as well. But find all my stuff on my Twitter. It's all free. And once again, if you have not and you still like the show, uh, don't forget to rate and review. If not, you're a coward. Uh, Just kidding. But still, uh, we don't mind seeing some feedback. Let me know if you want to see anything different for the show, new topics, if you want to cover me to change the way I cover events, stuff like that. But we've been profitable lately, especially with outrights. Hopefully, we'll keep it rolling. But other than that, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.